0: Hi you guys, it's Liz Ryan, and this is the Truth About Work Podcast, episode 32. We got some questions to answer. If you have a question for me, send it to support at humanworkplace.com. I answer a few questions almost every episode of the podcast, and I answer questions on LinkedIn and Twitter and Facebook and stuff like that as well. So, yeah, we got questions to answer and topics to cover and stuff to talk about we're talking about the truth about work and what what works at work, what's great, what's not so great, what's dysfunctional at work and what needs to change. And then we talk about, you know, how to change that through starting with a shift in our own mindset and what is possible for us and what what is acceptable for us and slamming the door on wrong things and bringing the right things in, growing our own flame getting stronger, setting boundaries deciding for ourselves how to run our careers and then extending from there how to how to run our departments if we're department managers leaders how to run our companies right all with a human voice so yeah first question is dear liz i've heard you say i should have an online portfolio i'm not a graphic designer what would go in that portfolio thanks megan well thanks for the question megan here's the thing about an online portfolio i love Uh, the idea of a portfolio, a physical portfolio. When we go back, if we go back to the regular world out there, you know, going on interviews into office buildings and sitting down at a conference table, I love the idea of you having a physical portfolio with you. What is a portfolio? You get it at an office, uh, not office, an art supply store and they're black and they have clear plastic see-through pages inside and you slip things in there, printed things, written things, documents, graphic things, and, and it's powerful because it's like your story in artifacts. And so talking about, we're still talking about a physical portfolio, you go into an interview and at the point where they say, you know, so what did you exactly do at Johnson Products? And you whip out the portfolio and you say, you know, I'd love to just show you a couple of things I've worked on and this is a good, you know, this, this is kind of a helpful tool that I like to show people because it, it, it's the graphical manifestation of what we did. So here's this project. Here was the the flyer where the way we first told our customers about this special event or whatever. And then here's the invitation. And then here's the panel of speakers. You're showing them the artifacts. And I'm telling you, human beings love to flatter ourselves that we're very analytical and linear and data driven and all that, but totally not true. As you know, they sob on cue at Les Mis, you know, (laughs) they react on cue to movies and TV commercials. Come on. We are, we are creatures of nature and we respond to stimuli and you, you pull out that portfolio and you show them what you worked on, an invitation to something, a memo. Obviously you have to take out any, Proprietary information, customer names, or anything like that. Project names, the top secret project, right? You're not showing that. You're not showing company-owned code, but you're showing other kinds of things that that you know could be marketing materials. If they went out to the whole world, you can certainly show one more person, right? Um, I love the idea of a portfolio. Now here we are in COVID times, and so you're not going to be able to walk into that office building with your portfolio under your arm or in your briefcase or whatever. So you're going to put as much of this stuff as you can online. And a great place to put it online is just in your LinkedIn profile. LinkedIn lets you upload basically anything, video, PowerPoint presentation, documents, images. I have some stuff I think on my LinkedIn profile, haven't updated it in a while, but, but you, you can show more of the colors of you and the kinds of things that you've done with these materials uploaded to your LinkedIn profile than just with regular words in the profile. Does that make sense? I think you could have fun. Some, some rainy weekend or some snowy weekend, depending where you live, it could be blistering hot and you just can't go outside sitting there and uploading materials from the whole length of your career to your LinkedIn profile. And you're going to feel good about it. You know, And then you can say in your LinkedIn profile, as you talk about each job, check my, uh, attached PowerPoint from this talk to get more insight. And they'll come to you for advice. You know, I mean, they'll, they'll come to your profile for, for guidance, not just because they want to hire you. Thought leadership. I'm a huge devotee. I think you should sing your song at every opportunity. Um, share it. There's people that will benefit from your knowledge. So putting stuff Uh, enhancements into your LinkedIn profile is a way of taking a step into thought leadership. And I am cheering you on with that, Meg. I think it's a great thing to do. Okay. Hi, Liz. I got the question at an interview the other week. Will you commit to stay in the job two years? I felt uncomfortable. Why would they ask that question? Thanks, Gerard. (laughs) Gerard, right on. Why would they ask that question? This is a job people don't stay in. And they're asking you right up front, will you commit to stay two years in the job? Well, here in the United States, as I love to say, we are the only industrialized nation that has employment at will. That means they could let you go at any moment. They don't even need a reason. Oh, we made a mistake. We should have never filled that job. Oh, we just realized we don't want you. We want this guy's cousin, right? How ludicrous, how insulting and ridiculous and absurd on the face of it to say, Gerard, before uh, we get too much further in this interview, will you commit to stay here two years? Ha! <laughs> why do you, is it an abusive environment? Why do you ask that question so early on? How could I possibly know what it's like here? It sounds scary already. If you wanna stay in the interview, Gerard, the answer is sure, right? It's a goofy, absurd, Dumb, pointless question from Bizarro World. So go ahead and give a Bizarro World answer. Yeah, sure. If if it were a more serious thing, if you'd been through three interviews for the job, Gerard, and it, it seemed like perfect, you were dying for this opportunity just for so many reasons, smart people, ethical people, seemed like a good vision, good plan. The CEO you met, and she was amazing. And and a and matter of fact, you're in a meeting with her, the CEO. And she says, so Gerard, she's the only thing? You're a go-getter. You're sharp. You're amazing. We hire you, which looks like, you know, we're stepping in that direction. Are you going to stick here because we have this big vision and we have all the stuff we need to do? So you're not going to be so impolite to say, I, your job is to keep me happy. Don't, don't, don't say, I don't care about that part of the job, keeping my employees happy. You have to unilaterally and preemptively commit to be here. What? No, that's your job as a leader, hon to keep the employees happy. So you're not going to say that. I I might say that because I'm older than you, Gerard, presumably, but you're not going to say that. But what you can say is, you know what? I, I, I can't read the future. I, I, I think if you feel that it's that important for me to be here for the duration, to be here two years, we could easily construct a contract that, that pays me a bonus after two years. That's my incentives to stay. And, um, you know, that commits you to keep me employed for two years. Good morning. Well, I'm supposed to make a commitment. You make none here in the only industrialized nation where employees don't have any commitment from their employers. Unlike Germany and the Netherlands and, you know, wherever. They have, they have South Korea, they have contracts. It's just public policy. They all have contracts. So you have a contract, of course. That's what people say when they read my columns. You guys don't have a basic employment contract? Yeah, that's right. But still, they're going to open their mouth and say, will you stay two years? I will. Give me a contract. And then if I don't pay, if I don't stay, rather, there's a penalty. I lose this big bonus. But, you know, are you joking? I'm supposed to commit? Right? Mm. See, this is the thing. It's the brainwashing. And that's why I talk about this stuff. Shake it out of your veins. It's not normal. Let's not normalize abusive employment practices and say, that's just the way it is. But why is it that way? Let's look at that and let's change it individually and as a group. All right. Dear Liz, now that coronavirus makes it hard for me to send a pain letter to my hiring manager's office with confidence, it will be delivered. Can I send it to their home if I find the address? Gil, no, Gil. Thank you for that question. No, ooh, creepy, stalky, stalkery, weird. You're not sending a pain letter to anybody's house. But thank you for asking because someone else might have the same idea. No, still send it to the office. It's going to be delayed like 10 days. They're going to have some kind of mail service if the company has not shut down. Somebody is going in at some interval and, and you know, they still get FedEx, all that stuff. They have something happening unless they just have gone out of business and they will get that letter to your hiring manager at their home. Don't send, don't look up their home address and send it to them, ick right? There's certain things as a job seeker you can't do. They're rude. You can't write to a stranger, a complete, you don't know this person through LinkedIn and say, can you help me get a job in your company? I mean, they they ask me what to do and I tell them you have to ghost that email. What years ago we had phone books, thick book they would drop on your front porch or your front steps or whatever. And you would pick up the phone book and all the people's names and phone numbers are in there. But we never took the phone book inside and started calling strangers and saying, hey, you know, can you help me get a job or can you lend me 10 bucks? Right. It was considered a breach of privacy and it still is. So, no, you can't. But thank you for asking, because I don't want you to be confused about that. That letter will get there. It will be delayed. You can reach out to them on LinkedIn, but a lot of people don't go to LinkedIn and it's a jarring way to approach a stranger again. Sorry, the paper letter, the act of opening the paper, slicing open the envelope gives that correspondence, that overture, a, a social lubrication, you know, it gives it a, 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 a higher level of, it took you longer, you had to print out the, the letter. You know, same font, same weight paper as your resume, put in an envelope. It's just more, we used to say classy. It's just more adult, you know. Email also. I have known many, many people that got hired through an email pain letter, but that's, I always roll my eyes because they got lucky because... You know, it takes a lot. Email, we are so oriented to go through the inbox and just delete, 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 file, delete, get out of my face, get out of my face, right? Oh, let me unsubscribe from this newsletter. You know what I mean? That's our mode when we're looking at email. So it's not the place to do a whole stop in your tracks and attend to what I'm writing to you. But if you want to do it, then you should because it's your job search. All right. Let's see what else we've got here. Oh, Liz, can you give me some language to use when negotiating a job offer that is close but not close enough? For sure. Okay, you get the letter. First of all, you don't negotiate, you know, of course, a job offer when you get the job offer, right? You start the negotiation. We're talking about salary negotiation. You start it much earlier at the beginning of maybe your first conversation with a recruiter or whatever. The best employers... Put a salary range in the job ad. And I am happy as the months go by to see more salary ranges in more job ads. Thank you, employers, for getting that memo. It's so important. People don't want to waste their time. You say, I need a project manager. What kind of project manager do you need? You need a $40,000 project manager, $160,000 project manager, somewhere in between. We have to know. That title is too broad. There's a lot of titles that are so broad. We don't know. There's recruiter jobs that pay thirty five thousand dollars and three hundred fifty thousand dollars. You know, we 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 have to know it's not years of experience because anymore, let's be honest, the years of experience is not the deciding factor. Who stops a word in between those two syllables? Me, I guess, for a catch breath. But yeah, no, it's not years of experience. You could have accomplished more in six months in a job that didn't have marketing in the title than a marketing person in seven years in another company. And it's not even their fault. It's just what they were given to do and how much latitude they had. That's why That's why our, a big part of our job or our mission on any job is to steal latitude. Not steal because you're entitled to it and it helps the company, but to be consciously grab latitude, man. To grab the ability to put your own stamp on your job and to do stuff, right? To do stuff and get stuff done. If you can do it, please do it. I understand. It's like, no, I'm going to withhold my labor and my creative ideas because they don't deserve it. I get you 100%, but in the long run, it's going to help you to have that resume fodder and stories to tell. And it also helps you in your confidence, really, really does when you do cool stuff. It's like, wow, I watch my kids who are teenagers to young adults now, and you see that the more they do on the job, they, they feel better about themselves. It's a competency, it's a it's a maturation thing. They, they gain more territory that they're comfortable in. Oh yeah, I'm comfortable calling a stranger to do this or that at work. I'm comfortable talking to a coworker about this or that, maybe a sticky topic. You become comfortable as you step into new territory. So what I want you to do on the job, any job at all, is step, 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 step into all the territory. Can you sit in just this one time on the management? Yes, the word yes is out of your mouth before they're even finished asking the question, yes. I'm not talking about misusing your time and energy. I don't want you working all weekend for free or any of that. In fact, I'm proud of my one of my kids, my middle son has a kind of a, you know, the kind of job you have when you're a student. and um, And his manager texted him and said in the shift today, You know, I wanted to make sure that you saw the thing, the buh-buh. And he wrote back two letters, okay. She had never texted him before. It wasn't even urgent. And she jumped on that opening. He wrote back, okay. And she jumped on that opening and texted back, okay, so then tomorrow, can you make sure to do whatever? And he texted immediately back, yes, please don't text me at home anymore. I'm off the clock and it's a labor law violation. I love that. He told me about it afterwards. She's young. She kind of panicked and said, Oh, sorry. I do, I didn't know it was a labor law violation. She, she copied his words. Well, it is he's hourly. Of course it is. No, we're not working now. I'm at home. You text me if it's an emergency, that's what, and that's it. He set a boundary. How hard would it be for him to replace that job? If, if he lost it, it wouldn't be hard because it's, it's not a super desirable job, right? We have to know our leverage. If it doesn't feel like you have that much leverage, I'm telling you, you have more than you think. And the only way we get stronger is by using our muscles, just like our physical muscles. It's the only way we get stronger. So I want you to be conscious of that. You'll know when the right time is. I would never push you to, to you know do something that feels like it puts you at risk, right? I'm just saying, when that tide comes and lifts you up, like a tide in the ocean when you're kind of like chest deep and that tide comes along, it just kind of lifts you up off the sand. Be ready to be lifted. That's what I'm saying. Be ready to be lifted. Okay. All right. We're still talking about negotiating a job offer. You thought I forgot. All right. I forgot, but it's right here in my notes. So brings us back. You start negotiating immediately in the first conversation. So what is the salary range for this job? Is there a, they have salary range in mind. A lot of recruiters will tell you. I certainly did. Oh, they were looking to pay around 60k, 65. They may tell you. They may say well they're trying not to pay over this or they're trying they're kind of looking in between this and this. Some will not. Some of them have been told by the client you may not you may not tell them the salary. We're going to waste everybody's time cuz we the employer don't want to put our business on the street as they say. Absurd, paranoid. Um, obnoxious let's be honest unprofessional waste your time but then you might have to say look at, I'm targeting jobs in the 55k range is this job in that range you must ask the question do not just put the number out there because if they don't respond you feel like that's the green light and everything is cool it doesn't mean everything is cool it doesn't mean that's something that the employer is willing to pay they might be willing to pay 40 you're asking 50 and they're like we'll interview them and we'll talk them down to 40 right get it answered, get feedback. You say, is that going to work? A cliche a lot of recruiters will say is for the right person, they might be willing to pay 50. And maybe that's true. Maybe they'd be willing to pay 60 for the right person, but this is not the time when you're going to find out. This is why for better or worse, we have to, we have to really research jobs even before we apply for them. Another one is if you cannot tell what this job should pay, you've read the job description or the job ad three times. I mentioned project managers before. You can't tell. Is this a 50K project management job or an 80K, 120K? I don't know. You have to say, I I can't give you a number. Here's why. It depends on the job. I have to know a lot more about the job, right? There are 50K. uh, This is something you can do. This works really well on the phone with the recruiter. There are 50K project manager jobs. There's 150K project manager jobs. i you know, where in that range does this job fall? And then they might work with you without giving a number. Cause that's really their big fear is like spitting out numbers. And they might say kind of the halfway point. Oh, cool. Okay. Now I know basically a hundred K job. Try it, try that. So anyway, you've put your number out there and you told them you want 50 K let's say, and You go through the interview process. I would not hesitate to bring that up whenever you meet a new person, as long as they are in the decision chain, the decision-making body, the search committee or whatever. You're definitely going to have a salary conversation with your hiring manager. Never, ever think, I talked about salary with the company recruiter, so we're cool. No, we're not cool. Talk about it with your hiring manager also. They're the person with the money. You must. They will not bring it up probably because they figure Ah, the recruiter already took care of that. Talking about money is tawdry. You know, we'll wait until we extend the offer. No, nah. You meet your hiring manager toward the end of the meeting. You say, so, um, you know, I'm sure the recruiter told you I'm looking for about $50,000 in terms of salary with a bonus. You know, can we talk about that for a second? It's okay to make them squirm a little bit. You're really saying i show up with some standards some requirements i am not here to grovel and beg for the job so for example if you couldn't meet my salary requirement that would kind of be a big deal they don't know what other opportunities you have right okay so then okay so you get the offer you have the offer and the offer is 46k so the first thing you do before you go to your hiring manager you contact the recruiter thank you so much got the offer really appreciate you turning it around Um, I'm excited. Uh, We seem to have a a miscommunication, or let's say, don't say miscommunication, but say, um, uh, I was curious whether there was a clerical mistake. We've been discussing 50K for the starting salary. My my salary requirement is 50K. You know, do you want to amend the offer? Go clerical, assume clerical mistake uh, from the get, because it may be that. But you don't want to say, oh, wait, I wanted more money. If they literally made a mistake, you don't want to have to negotiate or something that you already negotiated. So let's say you establish that it's not a clerical error. They heard your 50K. This happens. They heard that your 50K requirement and they say, you know what, we're going to pay you 46, but uh, our plan is we're going to, um, you know, give you a bonus opportunity for $4,000 and that'll bring you to 50. And now you negotiate. Now you want to get your hiring manager on the phone and you write to them and say, "Hey, thanks for the offer. Just had a quick conversation with, you know, Joe, whoever the recruiter. Um, I'd love to get on the phone if you have a minute." If they don't want to get on the phone with you, and they're your hiring manager and they're in the process of trying to recruit you, there's your answer. They they've got a list of five other people that they can lowball. It's like you have to decide, you might be desperate, you still might take the job, but They've told you now in glaring, huge neon letters, how much they care about you, which is not at all. Okay. But typically they will get on the phone. It's worth one call, right? To try to work things out. And you say, well, thank you for the offer. Um, My salary requirements really 50. I appreciate the 46 plus the 4k bonus potential, but you know, we haven't ever talked about what that bonus might include or the metrics and you know, my expenses really require me to have 50k you know, divided by 12 coming in every month, notwithstanding a bonus potential. So I wanted to get on the phone with you and see how we might get creative together to bridge that gap. And then you got to bite your lip and not speak like, uh, because sometimes they'll say, I'll go see what I can do. That's the best answer, right? Sometimes they'll say flat out, I can't do anything. And some, and, and sometimes they'll say, what do you have in mind? And you can pitch them on a sign-on bonus for the other 4K. Give it to me now. It won't be in my salary on the books, which will be 46K. That means when it's time for a salary increase next year, if the salary increase is 3%, it'll be 3% of 46, not 50. But hey, at least you get the 4K in cash up front. Normally, a sign-on bonus is either paid in your first paycheck or your second paycheck. You could negotiate for tuition reimbursement. You could negotiate for more vacation. If you care about that more than the cash, you could negotiate for a better title, or you could negotiate for a performance and salary review after six months, instead of 12 months, anything you negotiate has to be in your offer letter. But negotiating a job offer is another one of these critical life skills that we all need to learn. It's a way of setting boundaries. It's a way of stepping into your power. And that is our mission so yeah another critical life skill i'll just throw this mention in there is getting a job when you have a job freaks a lot of people out but it's so essential now because if you don't have that skill of getting a job when you're employed full-time then you have to wait until you get laid off before you can job hunt and that obviously takes control of your career completely out of your hands which we don't want so we have a virtual course. It's called Job Hunt While You're Working. It happens to be on sale right now. You can check it out. It is all about how to brand yourself, how to choose your next job, the next career direction you're gonna go after, how to brand yourself for those jobs, how to reach out, how to get interviews, rock the interviews, know your value, the whole thing. While you're employed, while you're working another job, with the end point being that you accept a new job and you give notice. All right, we got one question. Dear Liz, any tips for surviving a bad and toxic workplace? Wow. So, you know, as soon as we talk about a a toxic workplace, the question comes in, you know, how long are you going to stay? Why are you still there? And how long are you going to stay? Often people have a really good reason for being in a toxic workplace that they know is unhealthy. Uh, Like I'm in school. I have to finish school before I can get a new job. Or my partner is in school. Or, you know, where I live until I can save enough money to, to move, there's no other jobs or whatever. And in that case, you're kind of working on another goal while you're surviving the bad workplace, like saving money to get out of your area or, or finishing school or whatever. And then it's Shawshank Redemption. Remember that movie, Shawshank Redemption? He was tunneling behind a poster of somebody, Rita Hayworth or somebody Um, movie star of the time and he was tunneling, it took 15 years, you know, to tunnel through and he got out. Um, if you have a secret project to get out, that's going to give you strength. You've got to be very serious about it. Obviously it can't be a sometime thing. Um, because when you have this side project that is very important to you, it's related to your mission and your progress in your life. It's going to take some of the pressure off, you know, how you feel about work. And even your ability to deal with the stuff that's going on at work, obviously, if it's physically or emotionally, literally unhealthy for you to be there on a daily basis, you can't stay there. You have to, then it's like getting out of an abusive living situation or domestic violence situation. You have to, you have to get out. It's a crisis. But for many, many, many people, it's not a crisis. It's just unpleasant on a day-to-day basis. And it makes them feel bad about themselves because they're like, why am I still here? Well, we know why you're there. You're there to finish school. You're there to save the money to move to another town, whatever. If you don't know why you're there, then it's either start a job search right away or figure out why you're sticking there. The worst reason to stay at a job is just because I've been here. I mean, come on, got your whole life. Just go live it, try out some other places. I always recommend if you have a choice between doing what you've been doing or doing something new, try something new. So figure out what is in your way. I need to graduate. I need to save money, whatever. Figure out what that goal is and figure out also what you can get from that job. Even in an unhealthy work environment, there might be incredible resume fodder that you can get there. You might be able, we spoke about this earlier in the, in the episode, you might be able to get some great resume fodder, great stories to tell, even in a place that is otherwise not a great place for you. That's what you're looking for, is to grab the gold at this level of your video game in order to keep going. But I never want you to develop a set of coping mechanisms just to be able to stay at a bad workplace that you have no reason to be at just because it feels in the moment like it's easier than job hunting. It's not. It's gonna, you're going to be very, very happy when you get out of there. It's, it's worth your time and energy to focus on that rather than just like teach me how to numb myself. We all know how to numb ourselves, right? Look how much caffeine people drink at work. And I'll tell you what the dirty little secret as an HR person, there's tons of them, but one of them is prescription drug abuse among executives. Like you're, you you know, it's unbelievable until you realize, no, it's completely believable. Go, go, go. Culture never stop working. Prescription drugs. Just saying. Anyway, on that cheerful note, I want to thank you for listening to the podcast and sharing it and letting your friends know about it, following us on Twitter, all that kind of stuff. We have tons of stuff on our website and free downloads, humanworkplace.com. And you can send me a question at support at humanworkplace.com. So yeah, keep growing your flame.